Hi, this is Bill Bice. I'm here with, with Rebecca Satin. Rebecca, it's great to see you. Great to see you too, Bill. I, I, I hear so many uh, so many great things uh, about you, both in the industry and from firms that you've worked with. So I'm, I'm excited for us to, uh, to to have this conversation. So give us give us a little background. Like I know you spent a lot of time in in law firms, and now you've switched to the dark side, and you're on the vendor side. So give us a little little perspective on that. I started working in law firms when I was uh, young enough that I was very intimidated by all the lawyers, um, and uh, it was long enough ago that that uh, I remember when not all lawyers had computers, um, and I worked in law firms mostly in Southern California until 2015 when I joined WorldDocs as CIO. Uh, and held that position until we were acquired by NetDocuments in this past October, uh, where I am now Senior Director, Customer Success Operations. Which uh, seems, seems like a great place for you to be, given how much you know about how law firms operate and should, uh, maybe more importantly, should operate. Um, so I want to, I want to go uh, there right away. So let's Let's talk about uh, um, your experience with information governance and what you see firms doing, what they should be doing, what you've learned. Well, I am quite opinionated on this topic. So uh, (laughs) uh, even when I worked at my law firm, um, it's not a popular uh, conversation to have with lawyers. Uh, Lawyers tend to want to uh, never delete anything. They want to keep their data forever, especially their electronic their electronic data. Uh, back when I worked in law firms, the last firm that I worked for, uh, I did initiate a conversation with them about retention policies and what what we should be doing. You know, if your client engagement agreement states that you're going to either destroy a file. Uh, seven or 10 years after the matter has been closed. I think a lot of lawyers are thinking that you're just talking about the paper file. And as soon as you start mentioning, well, it's just the file, so that includes the electronic file, uh, that starts to make them very nervous uh, because of course they all want to have that data for reference uh, and hold on to it forever. Um, why, why is it, why is it important to have retention policies around this? Well, the more data you have, you know, you're responsible for protecting that information. So, uh, if you keep everything forever, then you're responsible you're responsible to protect that data forever. These days, I mean, back in 2015 and before, when I was having those conversations the regulatory climate wasn't quite what it is now. And now, especially where I used to live in Southern California, you know, there's GDPR, there's CCPA. I mean, there's all kinds of different regulations coming out about, you know, how long you store information about people. And uh, that includes 
the information that you're storing in your DMS about people. I mean, if you're still actively working on a case, then clearly you need that information. But once you're no longer actively engaged in working on that case, then you need to be aware of that. And I mean, sure, if the client says, no, I want you to keep that data forever, then then I guess you're okay. But I don't know how many clients are, are going to say that because, again, wherever their data exists, it's at risk unless it's being properly protected. Right. And one of the things that you've talked about is that you, you have to know where the data is, otherwise it, there's no way for you to keep it safe. Yes, exactly. And um, keeping that data safe, I mean, again, you know, I, I, I keep mentioning these things that, that bring up that I'm old, <laughs> but back in the day when, when I first started working in law firms, uh, the paper file was everything. And people, you know, with the advent of email, people started printing emails to put the copy of the email in the paper correspondence file because you had to keep everything. If it was client correspondence, even if it was, you know, electronic, it still had to go in the file. And somewhere along the way, you know, people started putting in document management systems and that became it didn't completely take the place of the paper file in a lot of cases, but really it did. And and some people started moving their email conversations into the document management system, but not with the same, uh, I wanna say obsessiveness that, <laughs> that they used some to have. Some of the have. discipline got lost in the transition. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and some people are still that disciplined about putting those those emails into the document management system and that that is only going to serve them well because you know one of the nightmare situations that i've had to deal with is that you know if you're not putting your email messages pertaining to that client into the document management system um what if a lawyer leaves the firm these days, everybody's using Exchange Online. So if that person leaves the firm, first of all, you're paying for that person's Office 365 licensing. And you don't want to pay for that indefinitely if they no longer work for the firm. But if they never moved any of their email into the document management system and it's all sitting there just in that mailbox, are you going to take a paralegal away from billable work to have them go through that email and move everything that's relevant into the document management system that's that adds risk that adds expense that adds all sorts of problems that nobody wants to deal with are you going to pay for it for the next 10 years in case you ever need it yeah not to mention yeah, the uh just the general, I mean, th there might be data in that mailbox for cases that have been closed for seven or 10 or more years. So. Right. Which you don't really want uh, hanging around all that time. Yes. So you, you uh, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned, you know, people don't like to talk about it, but, but law firms also get sued. Yes. And so these retention policies are really important in terms of it applies to what's what's discoverable. Yes. And I've also seen situations where, 
you know, lawyers have to produce, even if, even if the firm is not sued, they might just be like a, a, a third party in a, in an ongoing case and they still might have to produce some of their information. And I remember a couple of partners in that situation at a firm where I worked at one point where one of them was super organized and he had emails that were in the document management system and he had some emails that were still in Outlook that he hadn't moved yet, but they were in a folder for that case. And all of those emails were in that folder. And the other partner was one of those people who I would say, how can I, I can't really say this in any way other than to just say it. Basically, he had an inbox that just had like 350,000 items in it and no yeah. folders. And uh, the other partner uh, shamed him for not being organized. And he said, I'll take care of it. I'm on it. I'm, I'm going to find everything. And uh, but it just put more work on him when he should have been billing on something else instead of on this situation. And so the more you do not keep your data organized and in a document management system, the more you're putting yourself at risk like that. I actually just met a WorldOx customer, um, a WorldOx user at, uh, at ALA last week who was talking about how he has a very small firm and the fact that all of their data is very organized and saved in a document management system has made him more competitive because he can find everything so quickly. And if he's dealing with another firm of the same size on the other side, they often have trouble finding their information because their data is not in, the, in a document management system. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge competitive advantage, whatever the size of your firm is, to do that. What, what, what have you seen uh, work well for a firm that, that really that wants to be good at using, using their DMS? Um, well, I think certainly the commitment to storing everything there has to come from the top. Um, the leaders of the firm need to make sure everybody in the firm understands what goes in the DMS uh, and why it's important. Uh, because the security of your information is not just the responsibility of the person at the top, it's the responsibility of everybody at the firm. And, and so, I would agree that that you know buying from the top for any kind of technology adoption is sort of um, it's almost table stakes. Uh, rarely can you get something to work um, without it. Definitely. Uh, I mean, there's 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 exceptions that Although, prove the, the rule, but but uh, it's so I'm much sure easier. We've, we've both seen people try to get things to work without buy-in from the top too, and it often doesn't go very well. So. No, it's, it's it is so much harder, and and you know my and my second rule for that is that you've got to meet people where they're at, and so if if you want attorneys to use it, you'd better start in Outlook as a jumping off point, or otherwise you're just you're you're never going to get there. Yes, and everybody so, is very attached to Outlook. <laughs> well, it's kind of for better or worse, but you know the we used to have these discussions about 
who's going to win the attorney desktop. And of course there was one a long time ago and, and there really is no competition. Yep. Although uh, I think teams is starting to, uh, well, I mean, it's still Microsoft, but uh, at least for internal communication, I see a lot of firms uh, of a certain size, uh, especially what with the pandemic, you know, and everybody was working remotely teams became of primary importance uh once that happened yeah it's come on strong and and you know i live in outlook and teams i really i really like having the internal communication in teams and external and outlook to the extent that you can get uh you know get that discipline in place what what does teams do for your view on on information governance um well because it's part of the office 365 universe uh you have the advantage of having all of the controls in the security and compliance component of of that uh product um so it's it's definitely something that you can lock down um although again you know based on the size of the firms i know a lot of large firms were really reluctant to use Teams and are still reluctant to use Teams. Um, and in fact, at at LegalSec and at ALA, at a lot of different conferences, you know, it seems like the larger the firm, the more likely they're not fully on Office 365 yet. They're still using on-premises exchange servers or they're in some hybrid situation. Uh, so I think uh, in this sense, the smaller firms, I think, have adopted it much more quickly. Uh, but of course, Microsoft put uh, put greater restraints on the smaller firm, the larger firms Microsoft allowed to continue with enterprise agreements and things like that, whereas smaller firms had less of a choice about what products they were going to use. So. Yeah, I've certainly seen a lot more movement in in large firms to to 365, and uh, just the they have a ways to go to catch up with small firms and in moving to the cloud and SaaS, but it's uh, it's happening slowly but surely. So uh, you've you've gone through the the uh, acquisition. You're part of Net Documents now. So what's what's happening on that front for? Uh, for you, for World, World Docs customers. So let me start with the World Docs uh, users. Um, if if people have our World Docs on-premises products, uh, there's really no change. We have the same support team. We have the same developers. And, you know, if we find bugs in the product, we're going to be fixing bugs. In fact, I think we have a patch coming out in the next week or two um, for the on-premises uh, products and also for WorldDocs Web. Um, so, you know, if they have problems, they can continue to call WorldDocs technical support and talk to the same people that they've always talked to. Uh, the cloud, it's a little bit different. Uh, with WorldDocs Cloud, we do have a sunset date for that of uh, September of this year. Um, and, you know, that makes perfect sense to me because NetDocuments is a cloud product. And why have two 
sort of competing cloud products under the umbrella of one company. Um, so, uh, so, we, so those customers need to make a transition. Yes, there are, there are Worldocs customers that are running in the cloud that are hosted by somebody else. Oh, yes. If somebody's hosted by somebody else, then we consider them to be on-premises customers because they're still running the on-premises product just hosted by another company. So, yeah, that's nothing changes for those customers. So you, if, if you're a Worldocs firm, you've got to think about, and, and, and it's hosted, you got to think about where it is. Uh, in terms of whether this affects you or not. Yes. If it's if it's hosted by Worldocs and part of Worldocs Cloud, then you know they need to be looking at at their options. And there have been many that have chosen to migrate to net documents. One of the advantages actually to migrating to I mean, there are many advantages to migrating to net documents, but because we now have the Worldocs developers and the net documents developers working together. Uh, they've been able to put together ways to streamline the migration process. Uh, I mean, it was never a difficult process, but they've made it a lot easier and a lot more seamless uh, for Worldox customers. Yeah, and we, and we integrate with with both, of course, and so we've we've seen exactly that uh, that transition. And actually. That's one of the biggest concerns when customers talk to us about a migration process is, you know, all of the things that integrate with Worldocs, they want to make sure that if they're going to migrate to net documents, you know, th they can still use those same other products. So like your products. So that that's definitely been a big concern. Yeah, NetDocs has a great API and it's easy to integrate with. So I'd imagine the answers are pretty, pretty good on that front. Mm -hmm. So um, the uh, other other things that have have affected you in this, I mean, you've you've kind of gone through uh, stages here of going from the law firm side to 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 World Docs, which was um, you know relatively small company within the legal tech sphere as a whole. Now you're part of a much larger company. Any learnings or experience from that that uh, you find interesting? Well. Um, going from a law firm to the dark side, as you stated, um, was definitely, uh, I, I would say, maybe not exactly what I expected, uh, because law firms, law firms work in a particular way. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that, well, what am I saying? So working for Worldocs, uh, it was a good transitional place for me to be because Worldocs uh, is not so, um, we didn't have an in internal sales team, okay? So a lot of what I got to do working with Worldocs was what most people would consider to be consulting. Um, because of my experience, I worked with a lot of Worldocs customers and often was in a position to give them advice on things that maybe only peripherally had to do with document management, but because I had the experience that I had, I was able to advise them on other products. Um, and I saw a trend happening uh, during my tenure at Worldocs where 
a lot of law firms, like if 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 they did, if they worked with a lot of healthcare, if they were the lawyers for healthcare companies, if they were going to bring in an IT director, they would often bring them in from healthcare instead of from another law firm. Like back when I worked in law firms, if you didn't have law firm experience, nobody wanted you to work there because you had to know how law firms work. But with the greater demands from clients for security uh, and security because they have to deal with regulations like HIPAA and things like that, um, now the law firms wanted to bring in people who had the understanding of, of that regulatory environment. So we would have... WorldDocs customers who would bring in an IT director from healthcare who knew nothing about how law firms worked. And based on my experience, I would end up often spending time with them and sharing some information so that they could essentially hit the ground running. Um, so that was an interesting trend that I saw working at WorldDocs. Um, but when the acquisition happened, it was interesting because the two companies, a lot of people would say they're completely different. And one of the ways they are different is just that, you know, NetDocuments definitely has a much greater focus on a sales team. They have an inside sales team, whereas WorldDocs didn't. And that was one of the biggest changes for me. But, but the resellers, the people who did all of the implementations of WorldDocs, um, a lot of them also work with net documents. So I'm, I'm essentially working with that same group of people. Uh, and the two companies as well, both, I would say, had similar beginnings. They both started with, you know, a developer with an idea and family-owned companies uh, that, that grew from there. And... Um, so that was something that we had in common. And there are definitely people who work at NetDocuments who have been around for quite a number of years, just the same as with WorldDocs, where there have been people who have, I mean, WorldDocs was 35, 36 years old, so which is, you know, ancient in software. <laughs> oh, it is. I, I remember working with, with Tom way, way back when. Uh, it, yeah, it was uh, really interesting for the WorldDocs partners because many of them uh, had already started working with NetDocuments, and so it made a, a very smooth transition for them. The whole whole thing made a made made a lot of sense. Yep. Definitely. So, are are uh, are you seeing benefits to the customers uh, now as as part of a part of a larger company. I mean, there's uh, NetDocs, you know, certainly on a different scale. It's raised a lot of money. You know, it's pretty, pretty significant company. Well, um, on the software side of things, uh, I mean, I see the work that that we're doing, you know, with NetDocuments on on new products that I'm very excited about. One of those products is something called Pattern Builder which is uh, document automation. And I first saw it before the acquisition happened. And I, you know, I couldn't help, but it almost made me long for the days that I was at the law firm because I thought of all these different uses for it and how fun it would be to uh, 
to put those things together. Um, basically, you create apps within the software that automate processes. And uh, something that has just come out uh, this week, maybe, is uh, data tables. Uh, so you can actually store some of the information that you're going to reuse uh, in your automated processes. Um, and so that's something we're very excited about. Yeah, document automation is a pretty, pretty obvious extension for uh, for document management. So it's it's kind of surprising that it's just just now happening in, in one sense. Well, on the other hand, um, it's something that a lot of the all-in-one systems have always had as a part of them. And so it definitely makes sense to me that it almost seems to me that it belongs in the document management side rather than the uh, case management or time and billing side of things. Um, because you have your documents. I mean, that, that's where your documents are going to be stored. So it makes sense to also have the processes that are creating them live there. Yeah, the key is going to be really good uh, database integration there because that same data that's used for creating documents is used in other places. One of the problems we have in legal tech over and over again is just storing the same data in multiple systems. And you know, at some point, we've got to we've got to actually solve that problem. Yeah, I think that's not just a problem in in law firms. I think that's a problem in every industry. <laughs> well, I totally agree. Um, law firms. Uh, I do think make the problem even worse. Uh, you know, so I've done a done a lot of work in in uh, in markets out outside of law firms, and um, law firms just have a unique ability to to make that uh, challenging. Why do it, and, once and it all, when you can do it twice or three times? And it all makes sense. I mean, it's uh, you know, particularly the larger the firm gets, the more difficult it is to upgrade these well-established systems that have been on-premise, that are SQL-based, that have all these custom integrations built around them. It's, uh, you know, it's a very tough problem to solve. Yeah, I think the magic words there are the custom integrations uh, because nobody likes using anything straight out of the box. Uh, so once it's customized, it's, it's there pretty much for the duration. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's it's part of why it's so much more difficult in larger firms to move to to SaaS because you have to account for uh, for all of those things. And and part of the problem is is the SaaS applications uh, that are legal specific just need more time to mature. So like what you're talking about with Pattern Builder, that ability to create what are essentially custom workflows. That's a fairly new concept within SaaS applications in legal, and and that's the better way to get uh, custom things implemented for for a firm, and then have an API wrapped around that so that you can integrate it with other pieces. So it makes a tremendous amount of sense. Just a lot of effort to uh, to get there. Yeah, and um, I mean, it is because it's a no code uh, product. Um, you don't necessarily need to have somebody in, in the IT department be the owner of it, too. I mean, you can have somebody uh, who is just, you know, tech savvy 
but they don't have to have development background or IT background, really. They just have to be a little bit tech savvy to be able to do it. So, yeah, and you have uh, you know practice management specialists who can apply development kind type process around it. You don't have to have the technical depth. I would argue that you still have to have the the development process in order to get to the right end result, uh, because otherwise you just end up with uh, sort of no code workflow all over the place. Uh, but if you if you have the right process around it, you can scale the the end results uh, much more effectively. Yes, actually, um, defining what you're trying to do before you actually start doing it is always helpful, but it's a step that's often skipped. <laughs> that's that is the plain English version of what I was trying to say. Yes. <laughs> well. <done. laughs> The, the crucial mission step in, in so many things, but uh, in, in technology. Well, Rebecca, this, is, this has been a, a lot of fun to catch up with you. I love, I love all the things that we have uh, tackled. Thanks for, uh, thanks for spending the time with us. You're welcome. I enjoyed it too. I never get to just sit down and chat with people these days, so this is fun. Well, you should because you have so much experience to share with everybody. Be happy to do it again sometime. Thanks. Thank you.